Hey, today I want to talk with you about how you look at time. I want to talk with you how we look at time as a church family. And if you haven't been with us, we're in a series called Whole. If you look up here in the banners on the left and right, you'll see that it's this uh, pie-like shape. Uh, and what we're learning is that Jesus gave his whole life so he could be the Lord of our whole life, so that he could make us not just forgiven, but whole. And uh, as we study this whole subject together, we're learning that part of that new relationship is just as he gave his whole life to us, that in order for him to be the Lord of our whole life, that means that we need to learn how to steward every area of our life, not just some of them, better, more wisely. So you'll see up here in the banner that we so far we've talked about uh, our bodies. How do we steward our bodies more wisely? And Steve really helped us on that one. Last week we saw about how do we steward any money that we ever see or experience in our life here on earth. And uh, this week we're going to talk about time. Next week we're going to look at how do we steward our jobs or our work, whether it's an actual job or whether it's a kind of work we do at home or other places. How do we steward that? And then after that we're going to look at marriage and parenting and how we steward relationships and things like that in our lives. And so that's where we're going. But today I want to talk to you about how we look at time. I want to talk to you about how you use time and how I use time. And I, I think you're going to appreciate, again, what the Bible says on this. In fact, I want to invite you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And I don't know uh, if you're new and you're still learning where Ephesians is. Don't feel bad about that. We're so glad you're here. But Ephesians is about four-fifths of the way back. If you don't have a Bible, we have red ones near you. You can pull that out. We'd love it if you read along with me and we're a first-hander with the Bible. But if you don't have a Bible, take that red one home. We'll replace it. We want every person to be able to know the richness of being able to look at God's Word together. So Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17 are what we're going to look at primarily together today. And then I, I want you to keep that open throughout this message because I'm going to actually refer to verses around those so that we can think of it together. So I want to look at the whole context. So if you mark that place. And here's what I hope you'll see as we just review in this whole series what we've been learning is that the reason why we're doing a whole seven-week series on this is because we understand that it's possible to be a Christian for many, many years and never mature. It's possible to stay shallow. And the reason why a lot of us stay shallow is because we think that we can trust Jesus with only part of our life rather than our whole life. But if you watch people mature and grow, here's usually what they're learning if you're following along. They're learning to trust Jesus with their whole life. And if you want to have a mature faith, if I do, then it means really learning to trust him with our whole life. He entrusts, once we do that, he entrusts everything that belongs to him now he entrusted it to us. It's on loan to us so that we can learn how to steward it together with him. If you're following along in the notes, notice that second definition. Not only learning to trust Jesus with my whole life, but steward. We become his stewards or his managers. It means to manage that which belongs to another. To manage that which belongs to another. To care for, to oversee, uh, to do this with him. And here's been one of the key verses in our series, 1 Corinthians 4.2. Let's read it together on the screen. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. In the New International Version, it says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. In other words, there's an accountability to this. There's a responsibility to this. And some of us don't want responsibility. We don't want accountability, and so that's a challenge. But here's what's great. 
It's not the kind of responsibility and accountability without something that makes us bigger people. When you and I learn how to steward this more wisely, we become bigger people, and we learn how to see life more alive. And so there's a lot at stake about us getting this right. So here's what I want to do as we look at Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 today. I want to try and answer this question. And I don't know if you struggle like I do with time, but this one absolutely is important for me to hear. This is absolutely important that I studied this this week just by review. And so if you're following along, here's the question that I want to talk about is how do we wisely make the most of the time? I love Psalm 90 verse 12, it says, in fact, here it is on the screen, teach us to number our days, Lord, that we may gain a heart of what? Wisdom. If you know, it's Lord, by looking at our life the way you see it, teach us to realize we only have so much sand in the hourglass, we only have so much time here on earth, teach us how not to waste it. Teach us how to use it in such a way that it's purposeful and meaningful and rich and not a waste. Um, how many of you have seen this before? We have one of these in our office, a grandfather clock. You all see that? Now, what I love about grandfather clocks is this thing called the pendulum. And the pendulum swims back and forth. And uh, when I talk to you about this subject today, can I just tell you where I am at as I look at time and as I try and use time wisely? I'm like that pendulum. I'm almost always swinging through balance. I never stay there very long. I'm always trying to make mid-course corrections in my day, saying, oh, Lord, show me how. I think I, just, I think I just spent that last 15 minutes unwisely. Show me how to do this more wisely. Show me how to see things and do things the way you want me to. And so I want you to know that I don't expect any of us to walk out of here today being able to say, okay, that's it. I'll never struggle with time again. Any of us that are honest, I, a person after the last service came up and said, this was for me. I have such a hard time trying to balance all the things in my life. Me too. And probably you. And I know there's some of you that you actually now are either retired or you have more time because you're in a certain season of your life than maybe you've had before, and that's tricky. How do I spend that time and not fritter it away? Some of you, you, you are absolutely wall-to-wall little kids, and your whole life is like there's like no margin, so you're trying to figure out how do I get some margin? You're trying to figure this out. And these verses in the scripture, I think, are going to be a blessing to you because I think they're going to point us in the right direction. So here's what I want to just tell you. I'm going to talk to you today about four ways that you and I can make the most of the time as we look at the scripture. There's probably more than four ways. And I don't expect you to remember all four ways. I would just ask that as we walk through these four ways that you say, Lord, I want to make the most of my time. Show me which one you want me to focus in on this week. And I'll try and grow in that area. So again, just be listening for which one really stands out to you or he puts his finger on, and we'll do that together, okay? But before we do that, let me just say one thing, and then we'll pray. Jesus came and lived. We sang this song. He came. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to live here on earth. He was only here 33 years. Pretty young, huh? And really all we know is the last three years of his life, most of the detail about that. So his ministry didn't even start till he was 30 in terms of his public ministry. But Jesus used every hour of his time here on earth well. He used it wisely. And the Bible says he, had, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He had to learn these things too. So you and I can learn this and he can teach us. You notice if you look at Jesus, 
and you follow the gospel accounts, he was never in a hurry. He was never late. He was never hurried in his spirit when people were talking with him. He had this ability to understand time in a way that if we can understand it, it'd help us too. So some of you know that the New Testament part of the Bible is written in the, originally written in Greek language, Koine Greek, the marketplace Greek of the time. And uh, it's been translated in English. And so the Greek uh, language has two words, there's more, but two primary words for time that I want to talk to you about, because this relates to what we're going to read in just a second. The first is chronos. Chronos. Some of us recognize that word where we get our English word chronology, chronological. And the idea is of linear sense of time. We tend to see it divided up into minutes, hours, days, nights, you know, years, months, those kind of things. And chronos tends to emphasize the small individual units of time, and that's valuable to do. But sometimes when we're wearing our watches or we've got these, these kind of watches where we're always conscious of time, we get so locked into chronos that we become so busy and so harried that we miss more important things in life. The other word for time, the major word, is kairos. K-A-I-R-O-S is how I've transliterated it in English. Kairos. And the word kairos has to do uh, with quality of time. It has a way of looking at time where now you're looking at time more as an opportunity. In other words, on any given day that you and I might live, what are the opportunities that are present within that day? Not just the minutes, not just the hours, but what are the opportunities for that? Friends, Jesus lived inside Kronos time by Kairos time. He had this bigger picture. As he paid attention to his father and was led by the Holy Spirit, he saw Kairos moments all the time with people that were in front of him. Kairos time tends to emphasize relationships and other things that are more important. Whereas chronos time, if we're not careful, is only about productivity and only about bottom line kind of thing. Again, we need both in our lives and we need to respect both in our lives, but how do we live inside chronos time with a kairos perspective? Now some of you go, Jeff, thanks for the Greek lesson. Why did you just tell us all that? Well, here's one of the reasons why. If you look at Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, which I want you to ask you to read with me right now, then you'll get a chance to see uh, where this word comes about. So let's read that, and then I'll read verse 17, and then we'll unpack it. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. Now, I circled that phrase, making the most of the time, and in some of your translations, it doesn't say time, does it? It says the making the most of every what? Opportunity. In some translations, it says making the best use of the time. The idea is implying here is that you and I can waste time. We can actually really not reach the full potential with the time that's available to us. And it doesn't just mean with the chronos moments in our life. It means with the kairos opportunities. Now, here's what's so powerful. If you and I get wiser at this, God will help us not only spend this time with him and steward it well, we'll grow wiser, but it will have a direct impact on other people around you. It will have an impact on those you love, 
people that are closest to you, and it'll have an impact maybe beyond earthly time. So I want to talk to you about that, but let's pray, and we'll ask God to use this time well before we head back out to the parking lot and skate our way home, okay? Let's pray. Now, Lord, I want to thank you for each and every person that's here. Even though I may not know every person here, I sense your love for them. I sense that you want to teach us. You want to help us. You're so patient, so gracious. And we pray that you would be our teacher this morning. Help the light to go on. Help us to realize which one of these ideas from your word might be most beneficial for us to tune in this coming week, even today. And I pray that, Lord, in the long run, we'll be able to stand before you one day and just give you praise for how you helped make the most of the time with our lives as we stewarded it with you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, are you ready? First idea, number one. This is one of the ways you can make the most of the time. I think it's the most important. Right out of the gates, you ready? Give yourself to Jesus. If you're following along, give yourself to Jesus. That's that first big idea. 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. It means that there's an opportunity, there's a window, since Jesus died on the cross and before he comes back again, where you and I, because he first gave himself completely to us, in response, we can give ourselves fully to him by faith. We can entrust our whole lives to him. We can give ourselves to him. And I wonder... Have you done that? Can you look back at some point in your life and say, I know without a shadow of doubt that God brought me to the end of myself and helped me see that I was living for myself or living apart from him, and he showed me that I I could live a better way, that I could put my trust in him and receive amazing grace. If you have, then God wants to show you how to use that time now as a steward, but if you haven't, there may be several reasons for that. There may be the reason that no one's ever told you about Jesus, and that may be beneficial for you in the coming days. We just got done preaching through the Gospel of John, and you may find it beneficial to listen to some of those messages online about Jesus. But also, the reason why many of us don't give ourselves to Jesus is because we're in a war inside our souls. There's a side of us that says, if I give myself to Jesus, I'm going to lose more than I gain. It's like going to be like a straitjacket, and I'm going to I'm going to miss out on a lot. I'm going to miss a lot of opportunities if I give myself to Jesus. Years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote the book, Screwtape Letters, and if I could paraphrase, he once talked about a conversation about how the devil tries to sidestep or train wreck different people that may be interested in in, in the Lord. And uh, there was this fictitious conversation between Satan and his demons about how they could come to earth and just really get people off track. So the first demon came forward with the idea. He says, I'll go down and tell people the Bible's out of date and no longer applies. It's not even authoritative. And the evil one says, that's a good plan, but that's not good enough. Another demon said, I'll go down and I'll help people pay attention to all the ways that Christians aren't what they should be. He says, that's highly effective, but that's not good enough. The third demon stepped forward and said, I'll tell them that there really is a heaven or hell and that they need to believe in Jesus, but not today. Tomorrow, he said, go, you will be effective. Friends, for some of you, it's always tomorrow. God's saying to you today, it's today. What are you waiting for? What is it that he still needs to show you? 
Because whatever it is, I want to, I'm not beyond pleading with you. I want to tell you the wisest way you can use your one and only life is this very day, give it to Jesus. You won't ever regret that in the long run, but you will regret if you don't. And sometimes procrastination has ruined more of us than we can possibly say. But I, for one, am praying that the Lord will come right to your seat or he'll come to you this week and he'll show you that you need to trust in him and give your life to him because that is the beginning of one of the most fruitful ways to live. And let me just say there's a couple ideas here. Some of you know that I, I had done that early in my life, but it wasn't until my 30s that I understood how important this was to not only give myself to Jesus for the first time, but then this next line, to give myself to Jesus in all your ways and in all you do. To give yourself in all your ways and in all you do. I've, I've mentioned this, and I know some of you may have heard this before, so thanks for indulging me. Proverbs 3 Five and six, I memorized as a little boy. I had the privilege of being in a church where they taught us to memorize Bible verses. Some of you know this by heart too. But it wasn't until my 30s that all of a sudden one day God FedExed into me that I hadn't really ever taken that seriously or lived it in my life. And here's what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with your whole heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. It doesn't mean kiss our brains goodbye. It means don't lean on that. Don't put your ultimate reliance in your own understanding, but in all your ways. Really, Lord, are you serious about that? I mean, besides Sundays, besides when I'm in a jam, besides when something religious is going on, yes, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And I began to discover that if I would give myself to Jesus, beginning at the first moment of every day, to crawl out of bed, get down on my knees and say, Lord, you gave your whole self to me, now teach me how to give my whole self back to you. Moment by moment this day, I only have today. Teach me how to do it with you. Oh man, friends, my life went to a different place. Now I want to tell you, I don't get this right every day. Um, do I sometimes run out ahead of Jesus during the day? Mm -hmm. Do I sometimes drag my feet when he's asking me to join him in something? Yes. But if someone were to ask me, what I've learned about using time here on earth, I would have to tell you that I used to think it was about doing things for Jesus. Now I'm learning that it's doing everything with Jesus. Whether it be the littlest thing from washing dishes to listening to someone to driving in my car and that one I'm still not growing enough in to whatever it might be. In all your ways, in all you do, the greatest thing you will ever do is give yourself in those moments, those kairos opportunity moments with Jesus. John 15, Jesus taught us this when we just studied John. If you remain in me, there's an if in front of that. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything significant with your time that'll be lasting. Remain in me. Acknowledge me in all your ways. Give yourself to Jesus. The second thing is, is gratefully letting his spirit control you gratefully letting his Holy Spirit control you. If you look carefully, you'll see right after verse 17 that we just read together, uh, which I, I failed to read, actually. Let me read verse 17, and then I'll talk about verse 18. It says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In other words, take hold of it. Seize what the Lord's will is for your life. Verse 18, Do not get drunk on wine. Oh, man. 
Oh man, does our country need to hear this. Do not get drunk. So much time is being wasted in our country celebrating drunkenness. We're wasting time, which leads to debauchery. In other words, a total waste of pleasurizing yourself into total oblivion. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. Whenever the Bible says be filled with something, it means be controlled by. So when the Holy Spirit controls us, we live differently than if the Holy Spirit doesn't. Now, you can have the Holy Spirit live in your life and not be controlled by him. I've proven that many times. But you and I also, if we're not careful, we can be controlled by anger. We can be controlled by lust. We can be controlled by our own desires, our whims, our infatuations, whatever. We can just follow our, the inclinations of our wayward heart instead of being led by the Spirit. But when you and I let the Holy Spirit, when these people were baptized today, and Rob was the one in this service, the question was, will you let the Lord, let him be the Lord of your life each day? Will you let him and his Spirit lead you so that he gets, he wins? And I love what you said, Rob. I once was blind, but now I see. And I said this in the last service, I want to say in this, because someone might say, well, like, what's going to happen if I give myself to Jesus every day? Can I just tell you what's happened for me? My IQ didn't necessarily go up, but I began to see things that I'd missed before. There's something about doing it with Jesus where he goes, hey, did you notice what your wife just said? You missed that. Don't miss that. Did you notice that there's an hour you have this afternoon you could give to your kids? Did you notice that there is someone that you're now friends with who doesn't know Jesus? Are you paying attention to that? And again, all of a sudden, I saw things that I was missing before. I was blind, but now I can see better. I'm not superior to anybody, but I can see things by his grace. And that's what he wants to do. So the very best way you can use your time, hands down, give yourself to Jesus for the first time and moment by moment. Second way that you and I can make the most of our time is learn when to say no. Learn when to say no. This is about understanding that part of life is there needs to be a certain amount of boundaries and margin. But learn when to say no, first of all, to that which is sinful or short-sighted. And this is not easy to do, is it, friends? Even after we become Christians, isn't it tempting at times to just say, I think I'm just going to take, you know, a swan dive in the cesspool of sin for a couple hours. Or I think I'm just going to, like, live carelessly for at least a few hours. I owe myself that. And sometimes what happens is we just go for the moment. We just live in the moment. It's very short-sighted, and it looks so attractive. And the evil one started in the garden with that kind of mentality, and he's still very successful. But when you and I live and we don't say no to that which is sinful and short-sighted, watch out. Now again, where do I get this idea? Well, if you look over at chapter 4, verse 17, we see the context that leads up to why he says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time. Here's what it says in verse 17. This is for those of us that have now trusted Christ and given our lives to Jesus. So I tell you this and and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. These are people outside of God's covenant. Sometimes you would say pagan people that, that don't let God be the reference center of their lives. Unbelievers, don't live like they do in the futility of their thinking. You used to, but now you've got to make a break with that. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. They're not able to see the opportunities. 
They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. No, just living. I want to feel something. I want to just live by my senses. So that to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. What were we taught? Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. To say no each day to your old self and your old way of living, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. The way we think and the attitudes we choose are huge. Verse 24, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then it gets real practical. It says, as you learn to say no to some things that are sinful and short-sighted, say yes to things that are better. So verse 25, it says, you used to practice falsehood. You used to be okay with some lies. Put off falsehood. Say no to that stuff. And now learn how to speak the truth with a gracious, humble, loving spirit. In verse 26, you used to let your anger just rage and have the run of the day. Don't do that because that gives the devil a foothold. Deal with it even before the sun goes down. You used to steal. Maybe you're still comfortable with stealing. Don't steal. Look at a better way to use your hands so that you can work and bless other people with your hands. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Friends, I used to cut people down to be popular. Oh, man. He says, say no to that kind of thing. That's a waste of time when you're ripping people up like that, when you're complaining and saying all kinds of unwholesome talk that brings other people down. Instead, instead, use your mouth to bless people around you. And then he talks about don't let bitterness, rage, anger, and those things have the run of the day. Don't let sexual immorality or impurity or greed, no more coarse talking, swearing, cursing, Foul mouth stuff, no off-color jokes, <laughs> that kind of stuff, because that stuff just wastes time. It doesn't ultimately bless anybody in the long run. It's short-sighted. It's hilarious at the moment, but it just doesn't end up building people up. Wow. And the other thing it says is, learn when to say no to what may be good, but not God's best. To what may be good, but not God's best. You may want to circle Luke 4, 42 through 44, right out to the right of that. I put it there because sometimes, friends, here's what it boils down to. The tyranny of the urgent sometimes becomes so important every day that as we try and deal with all the urgent stuff, we miss the important. Now, Jesus was definitely, because of his miraculous power and his teaching and his being loved by the crowds, people were always trying to suggest ways that he should use his time. So some people think Jesus always said yes, but Jesus didn't always say yes. And I list one of several passages I could have listed out to the right there. As he goes out, it says early in the morning before dawn to a solitary place to be with his father, to make sure he's going to do the whole day with him. It says the disciples came to him and says, man, the crowd's here in this area you've been working in. They're ready for you to do some more. And Jesus says, I must go to other towns now. I'm going to have to say no to some of these people and move to the next town because I'm on Kairos time and God says there's opportunities in other towns and it's not that I don't care about these people. I've already been caring for them. It's time for me to go now to another way. It's good. What they're asking me to do is good. It's not God's best for me and I got to go do that. Friends, how do we figure this out? This is the tension of our life. Some of you have seen this illustration before, but I thought even if you have, 
It may bless you to see this again. It's helped me. Some of you know, I, what, if you're listening on the, online or on a CD, what I've got here is two glass globes. One's half full of rocks and sand, and the other is empty. And I want to just show you, some of you have seen this before. If we want to get the most out of our time, we've got to make sure that we put priorities first so that then the less important things follow. And so a lot of times it's been used this way, is that we need to make sure that we get the big rocks placed in first. That we need to make sure that the big rocks are in before we try and fit all these other things in. And that as we do that, our lives become, oh my, full. I'm told we have some more in the back. But you can see that this fills this up. But is it completely full? No. If we want to, we can actually begin to place some other things in here as well. You can place smaller rocks, and that's what I've got in my hand. And I could spend a whole lot of time just putting a lot more smaller rocks in here because there's space for that. And then there's things that aren't necessarily just smaller rocks. I mean, we all have everyday chores, don't we? And the big rocks are our relationship with God, our relationship with our family, our relationship with friends and other people, our relationship with people that may not know the Lord yet. Those are important to God. And the little rocks are sometimes the meals, the laundry, all the different chores we've got to do. But then there's the sand. And somebody was saying after one of the services, what's the sand? Well, social media, TV, none of those things are wrong. But sometimes we put all those things before everything else, and then we don't have time for the priorities, and we could just spend time doing that today. Here's what I have here, though. Here's one where somebody used plenty of sand and plenty of little rocks with their time. And what they find out is, is it's really hard to have any more space, the big rocks. See, it's all turned around. It's not making the most of the time. But this way makes the most of the time. And you and I can learn this. And it's not going to be easy. Sometimes the reason that we don't say no is because, really, we really want people to like us. If I were to just, just tell you sometimes the reason why I have a hard time saying no as I peel it all back, it's because I really want people to think I'm amazing. <laughs> He's incredible. He never says no. He always says yes. And then I go crazy. <laughs> and so part of what becoming wiser for me, the more complex my relational world becomes, I'm going to need to make sure that I get the big rocks right. Because then there'll be time for others, and those are important too, but I've got to make sure I always do that. That's one of the reasons I want to make sure I start every day, all throughout the day, making sure the biggest rock in my life, I give myself to him. Make sense? Third idea here is use God's gifts to you. So give yourself to Jesus. Learn when to say no. Use God's gifts to you. This idea is found in Ephesians 4, 7 and following. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says that Jesus gave gifts to men. And it gave gifts to men, why? So that we might, each one of us in the body of Christ, may be able to build one another up so the body of Christ might be built up. If we learn how to serve one another in love, and we learn how to serve others instead of just serve ourselves, have you ever seen, have you ever been part of an atmosphere? either a life group or a church or a team, when people said, I'm not going to make it about me. 
I'm going to figure out a way to serve others before I serve myself. Have you ever felt the power of that? Oh, my goodness. And Jesus knew that, and he said, when you begin to see your time as an opportunity to serve instead of just be served, you will go to a different place. Honestly, friends, play it out with me. Let's say you don't believe me, and you say, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life living for myself. I hope you won't do that, but if you do, can I tell you what's going to happen? You will be bored out of your mind in the long run, and you will, you will say, this is a dead end road, and you'll never be happy. And you'll make other people around you very unhappy. But that's what happens. But when you and I are serving others, you know what sin does, by the way? What sin does, the reason why the Bible says to hate sin is not just because it's trying to take away our fun, but sin, ultimately what it does is it turns us in on ourselves. My Sunday school teacher taught me that sin is spelled S-I-N. It's when I is in the center. And when you and I are turned in on ourselves like that, you know what? We become smaller people. The world becomes much smaller. But Jesus came and gave his whole life so that he could turn us outward. So that now we would be alive to him and alive to other people. And that's what he wants for us. And he says, give yourself first to me. Learn when to say no, but use God's gifts to you to serve others, if you're following along, to serve others. And then the whole idea of humbly be who God made you to be. Humbly be who God made made you to be. You know, there's a lot of time wasted nowadays by us being envious of other people, by us comparing ourselves to someone else, by thinking, if I can only become like them. And I just want to ask you a question. If you won't be you, who's going to be you? God made you to be you. And my parents used to have a little plaque when I was growing up in the 70s that said, God, don't make no junk. <laughs> but you know what? The most exciting thing for you is to begin to discover how God made you. Can I just make it real personal? Some of you know that after my dad served here for 16 years faithfully as the pastor of Cherry Hills, Cherry Hills took a risk on letting me be the senior pastor. And man, my dad and mom had shepherded this church family in such a profound way that we're still feeling the effects of that tone in our church family. But I remember being totally intimidated, thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to possibly be like my dad? How am I going to possibly? And God showed me, no, 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 that's not what I want you to do. So some of you have seen the story I've listed out to the right here from 1 Samuel 17. It's right before that famous moment when David and Goliath have that showdown and David kills Goliath with a slingshot. Did you know right before that moment, it almost went completely differently? Saul, when David said, I'm willing to take this guy on as he keeps taunting the Israel army, I'll take him on. And Saul says, before you go out there, you better put on my armor. He's really big. He's nine feet tall. So he tries on the armor. And the Bible says, as David walked around, he, could, it, he couldn't get free in it. See, Saul's armor was good for Saul. It wasn't good for David. But David remembered, hey, God's taught me how to be a shepherd boy, and I know how to use a sling, and so I can take on this guy with a sling. And when David fought Goliath the way God made David to be, it went better. And friends, at Cherry Hills, the reason we offer the network class is because we believe that God has already been doing a powerful work in your life. He made you and you're no junk. 
And then when you trusted Christ, he gave, you your Holy, he gave you the Holy Spirit who brought spiritual gifts with him. And he's gifted you in some way if you're a believer. And what those gifts are, if you can discover those and begin to put them into play, it'll change your life. And we hope you will. But are you using God's gifts to you to serve others and to humbly be who God made you to be? The last idea here is give yourself to Jesus, learn when to say no, use God's gifts to you. The fourth idea, again, only asking you to focus on one, Invest in what lasts. Invest in what lasts. You realize that you and I can spend time on that which is fleeting. You and I can spend time on that which will maybe last for a lifetime, but no more. Or, the Bible tells us there are kairos moments of opportunity that if we will invest in them, they will outlast us. And they may even last into eternity. And I, for one, don't want to miss those Kairos moments. So how do we do it? Here's one idea. Invite people to know Jesus. Bring other people to Jesus. Invite people to know Jesus. When we studied the Gospel of John, one of my favorite characters in that whole study was Andrew. Andrew is one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but we don't know that much about him because he's quieter. But we know that every time we see him in the New Testament, he's always bringing someone to Jesus. In the first chapter, we see that he brings his brother, Simon, to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, I know they call you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. You're going to be a rock in the church. You're going to have a powerful role as a leader. And then Andrew's seen bringing this little guy with five loaves and two fish when they're out of food and they're huge crowd of over 5,000 men plus women and children are hungry. You think that made a difference that Andrew brought that guy to Jesus? You bet. And then we see how he brought the Greeks to Jesus who were considered outsiders, but God wanted to include them. And friends, over and over again, I want to just ask you, have you ever brought someone to Jesus? Have you ever pointed someone to Jesus? Have you ever invited someone to come and see and get to know Jesus? If you do that, you will never be more alive in your life. It may end up being a heartbreaking thing where people go, well, that's good for you. Some of you weren't in the last service, but Carrie Logston shared her testimony, one of the other adults being baptized, and talked about how her mom asked her to consider Jesus, but she ran. It wasn't until she was later in life that she remembered her mom's invitation. You see, you never know where that invitation will go. But are you inviting anyone? Can you look at one person right now that you're praying that you'll have enough credibility and trust with to be able to say, I don't know if, I know you know I'm still growing myself, but if you'd ever like to know more about Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about him. The other way that you and I can invest in what lasts is to build into the next generation. Is to build into the next generation. I want to stop and say this. Some of you are stay-at-home moms some of you wish you could be stay-at-home moms. And you, you can't in this situation, this chapter. I want to make sure I tell both of you what you are doing if you are seeking to invest in your children, stay-at-home or working jobs, because you have to. Some of you are single moms, and you are amazing. I have so much respect for you. But what you are doing is important, whether the world ever tells you or not. You are building into the next generation. Fathers, I list 
Ephesians 6, 4. Some of you are taking advantage of this. Some of you are missing this opportunity. Are you teaching your kids in the instruction of the Lord? You may say, I don't know that much. Well, hey, I don't either sometimes, but I know this. There's teachable moments where Pastor Brian wrote on the back of the bulletin, we're going to do everything we can to help you. You bring your kids here, we'll send home questions you can ask, things they've been learning. You can ask questions. We'll do everything we can to equip you. But fathers and mothers, you are investing in the next generation. Grandparents, aunts and uncles, you are investing in the next generation if you are helping children come to know Christ. It is some of the most important things we do. And the world thinks it's crazy and insignificant. Some of you may have not have been able to have children or you didn't have children, but you have adopted people in this church and your ministry is profound. And I know I'm amped up right now because I'm learning with greater and greater clarity the older I get that I only have my kids for a season and we only have a short season to build into the next generation. I applaud you, Cherry Hills, for building that youth building and hiring that youth pastor. I applaud you for hiring a family pastor like Brian. I applaud you for investing in the next generation with your time and money and prayers. Friends, let's invest in what lasts because we will not regret it in the long run. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the righteous person lives for the next generation. And you do. And you're making a difference. Many of you, but some of us, we've been frittering, frittering away our time. And I remember when I had a guy say to me, Jeff, you only have your kids for a season. In the last service, Natalie was sitting right out there. She's 20 years old now. And my mind went back to a time when my schedule was jammed. And I realized that I had to literally get to my calendar before anybody else and reserve Monday nights where she and I would go to Panera or somewhere else and I could sit across the table and say, how are you really? What have you been learning? What Bible character means a lot to you? What is hard about trusting Jesus for you these days? And we had these teachable moments. We never did get all these structured, you know, devotional times with our kids. You may think that's how the Nelson house was, but we made the most of meal times and, pack, and tucking our kids into bed. We prayed for our kids. We humbled ourselves when we were wrong. But that made the most of the time. Friends, I just want to tell you, you can invest in what lasts. You really can. So as we close, I told you I'm not expecting a member all four. By the way, can I, 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 can I, will you give me a minute to read a story to you that really dinged me this week? James Boswell, the famous biographer of Samuel Johnson. Some of you may not know who Samuel Johnson was. He was a literary genius in the last century. He often referred to a special day in his childhood when his father took him fishing. The day was fixed in his adult mind, Gordon MacDonald writes, and he often reflected upon many of the things his father taught him in the course of their fishing experiences together. After having heard of that particular expression so often, it occurred to someone much later to check the journal that Boswell's father kept, excuse me, Johnson's family kept, and determine what had been said about the fishing trip from the parental perspective. Turning to that date, the reader found only one sentence entered. Gone fishing today with my son. A day wasted. Was it? I don't think so. 
So as you turn your notes over, you see on the back, there's so many things I could share with you. I'll let you read these on your own. But there's one I want to just stop and pause. The third line down, am I learning the power of combining? Some of you say, Jeff, two weeks ago, Steve talked about the body. Last week, you talked about money. Now we're talking about time. I'm like overwhelmed. You want to talk about cramming my time with ideas. How do I do it? Here's what I've learned. The power of combining. You know who taught me this? Snow White. Snow White taught the seven dwarfs to whistle while you... She taught me you can do more than one thing at once. That you and I can learn how to take care of our body while we pray. We can exercise. That we can actually learn how to drive our car and worship God in the car. That we can learn how to listen to someone carefully while acknowledging the Lord and saying, what do you want me to notice? What do you want me to hear? How do you want me to serve this person? And we can combine. I'm not suggesting that we combine ourselves into insanity. I'm just saying we can use our time more wisely than sometimes we think if we'll let God show us. So which one of these four? If you turn your notes back over, Lord, which one of these four do I most need to practice? Do I most need to practice? The way we want to end the service is to sing a song. And while we're singing this song, can I suggest something to you? It talks about blessing the Lord. It talks about worshiping him when the sun comes up. It talks about him being with him throughout the day. And I told you that if you give yourself to Jesus and you let his spirit lead you, that one of the things that will flow out of that is gratitude, thankfulness. That instead of wasting your time by complaining, instead of wasting your time by missing all the opportunities, now you'll see. This morning on the way here, I met an older guy from our church that he makes money by delivering papers early in the morning, even though he's older than me. It's one of the ways he can help his family. It's not easy. He was already up really early this morning, but as I pulled my window down and said hi to him and asked how he was, he said, God is so good. There's so many things each day that I see him doing, and I'm just so thankful to know him. I thought, here's a man who's learning how to use Kronos time to live on Kairos time. He's not missing the opportunities, and he's being thankful. So this song's going to give us a chance to bless the Lord and be thankful. I hope you'll use this time to do that and also think about how you can say, Lord, all my time is in your hands. Show me how to steward it with you. But stand, and let's sing this as we close. I am so glad God made you. I'm so glad that he gave his whole life for you and for me. One of the greatest privileges we'll ever have is to give our whole life back to him. It's a privilege, friends. It's a privilege to be a steward. And when he gets our hearts like that, everything changes. So I want to pray for you before you skate out of here, okay? Maybe you've trusted Christ today. Maybe he's leading you to be part of this church, or maybe you want to pray with someone. We'll be down front. Let me pray for you. Now, Lord, as we bless you, bless every one of these people. I don't know what their challenges with time are, but I pray you'll help us see time as an opportunity. I pray we'll see it as an opportunity to steward it with you. Thank you so much for each person. You care about them so deeply. I pray they'll know that you want to help them as they go. Amen. God bless you.